Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Barely Bookish Podcast. Today, I am joined once again by uh, Leanna Renee Heber, and she is the author of A Haunted History of Invisible Women, which we will be talking a little bit about a little bit about later today and also some fiction works such as the strangely beautiful and spectral city hi hello today we're going to be discussing uh the mystery of marie roger which is another in the dupont um investigations investigation mysteries yeah yes the mysteries like he didn't poe didn't title them like like we would use a series fiction title for them now it just Mm -hmm. that he's a recurring character but he didn't really have an overarching um uh sort of subtitle for these like Mm -hmm. modern publishers would put onto them but yeah he is the he's the only one of of Poe's recurring characters and um this is uh the the last of the three I think no no the middle of the three um, it was Murders in the Rue Morgue, Mystery of Marie Roget, and The Purloined Letter um, in 1841, 1842, and 1844, respectively. So, okay. So yeah, this is the middle one. And the one that is, as we'll talk about later, uh, based on a real crime. Very true crime. Very, uh, what is that? Investigation, discovery, energy mm-hmm. going on here. Absolutely. Poe started it all. Yeah, I did. Okay. I think I mentioned this last recording. But I was not sure where, because I have the 1850s version. So there's the descriptor, the whole, like, you know, like disclaimers. So I did not know where it lies with fiction versus reality. So uh, I think that was kind of fun for me a little bit. I I liked that um, variation yeah absolutely yeah this is i mean poe takes you know liberties and he changes the setting but um i will be Mm -hmm. happy to talk about the real woman it was based on yeah i'm very excited for you to talk about that part but let's get into the murder in the room morgue um a little bit so uh we did we did remark (laughs) sorry I, I, I'm looking at my notes and I just have the story up and I've like highlighted notes into it. And it says, it says the mystery of Marie Roger, a sequel to the murder in Rue Morgue by Edgar Allan Poe. So when I looked at it, I just saw. Oh yeah, he did. He did subtitle that, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He he or an editor subtitled that. So yeah, because he did, I mean, that rumor was a popular one. So he wanted to sort of mm-hmm. capitalize on that and 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 say, hey, I, I hear you like recurring characters. <laughs> Listen, you know, sometimes you just got to hop on the uh, this is popular train. It's like when everybody did dystopian in 2012. I mean, Edgar Allan Poe is the guy who is chasing after the next paycheck, like all of the mm-hmm. rest of us writers. So <laughs> just you got to do you got to do what you got to do. And sometimes it's just that way, you know, and I, I like as a reader in the early 2010s, I was obsessed with the fact that everybody was hopping on the vampire train. Let's bring it back more, more, more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not complaining. You see, you see Dracula mm-hmm. behind me. So I'm, I'm with you on this. Yeah. I am a big, I'm getting really into my vampire era again. I thought I lost it for a bit, oh, but no. then I saw what we do in the shadows and I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm back. 
Oh, no, no, see, so I mean, good. they're undead for a reason. So yes. Yeah. Just like my love for them. Also see? undead. Never dies. Love never dies. That was the tagline of uh, the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula. Love never dies. So Ooh. it's true. Have, have you seen the new voyage of the... The voyage of the Demeter? Yeah, is uh, it good? No, not, I haven't yet because I'm working on three books at the same time. Yeah, and I don't right. get to have any fun right now. So Fair. all I do is all I do is work and research and travel to give talks about uh, things like we're talking about, which is great. I love what I do, but it has <laughs> meant I have no, I have had no fun lately. But I will be getting the DVD when it comes out. Yeah, I really want to. I need to read Dracula first, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I'm going to watch it. Yes, absolutely. I want no spoilers. I need to. I want to read it for the podcast really bad. So I've just been waiting for someone to be like, "Yeah, pick me," and then I can be like, "Come hither." let us read it but it hasn't happened yet so okay well if you if once i'm out of my deadlines if you need somebody to talk dracula with you i'll be happy to in january probably i was gonna say i was like sometime (laughs) next year because i am literally booked until forever uh not not vampire forever but yeah anyway anyway let's let's talk about (laughs) poe yeah let's talk about poe so we start our story with the murder of a girl named uh marie roger roger right is that what we're going with yeah um well her her name was mary rogers but considering that um he's set this in uh new york rather than her body washing up in hoboken which is what actually happened um it, it he made it he made it french as yeah. he did he said it in paris as one does. yeah paris rather than new york she mm-hmm. was a new yorker mm-hmm. Yeah, so you got to make it a little French, just a He's little He's got to make it French. He sets a lot of his stuff. He offshores a lot of things from New York to Europe. It's an interesting thing of his. I mean, New York is basically trashy France, right? I'm just kidding. Don't. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm mean, i sure the French would say so, but this, this is also why the French loved Poe. And so he was, in some ways, he was sort of catering to the fact that he had a very loyal French audience. Mm-hmm. You got to do what you got to do for the paycheck. They understood. They understood Gothic fiction. They understood what he was trying to do. And so mm-hmm. I think in some ways he felt a kinship there. Like American audiences were not quite um, as as uh, effusive as the French were about his poetry, for sure. Yeah. Um, the, ra- the Raven made him like a superstar in Paris. So. I also feel like it'd be a little too close for home if he published it in New York. That's honestly what was another big deal because there was yeah. so many things in the paper about this and he he just needed it to be like, okay, this is my fictionalized account and not be dragged into to it as if he were actually one of the investigators, which is what would have happened. Yeah. People would not have been able to separate that out. And also, you know, he was uh doing he was doing other things that were close enough to sort of like um falsified truths that i think in this in this regard he had the good sense and uh to to have it just enough of a distance so that it wasn't also because this was right within the time frame of the murder so Mm -hmm. which to this day remains unsolved that he didn't want i i think he understood that there was a certain amount of respect that you should have rather than completely capitalizing on the dead i mean he was doing that but Mm -hmm. um that distance i think was was very important yeah for sure especially with changing her name even though it's slightly i think that also helps because I was going to say, like, if you Google, but I'm like, obviously, that's not how that works. But like, if you're skimming the paper for news and you see the name, you're going to be like, oh, there's an update. Just kidding. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. So I, I, 
I think it was wise for him to change to to change all of that, even though mm-hmm. he is addressing this in a in a true crime capacity, and some of his notes on it, even within publication, were acknowledging that this was pulled from the pages mm-hmm. of truth. Mm-hmm. So we find out that um, uh, okay, basically there is like a little disclaimer. So in my version, he says, "Hey, just a heads up." You'll notice that uh, her family name resembles that of the unfortunate, quote, cigar girl, unquote, which I did not know what that meant. So what that means is that that's where she worked. She was the shop girl downtown at Anderson's Tobacco Shop in Manhattan. And she was known as the beautiful cigar girl. That was literally like her Mary Rod. So the real woman this this is based on, the real woman that died, whose, whose murder or death uh, has never been solved, um, uh, was the the beautiful cigar girl working at a tobacco shop in, Man- in downtown Manhattan in, near the financial district. And she was like a feature of the shop. So men would come in to flirt with her. And uh, she was a beautiful cigar girl. She was kind of famous. And uh, and and we'll, we can get into a little bit more of this uh, later um, mm-hmm. when I talk a little bit more about her. But uh, that's that's where she was working. So the cigar girl, uh, that's, that's not a euphemism. That's actually quite literal. She was literally working in a, in a tobacconist okay. shop. That makes sense. Um, I wasn't sure. I was sometimes I'm never sure, you know, sometimes things tend to be like a little euphemism and mm-hmm. I don't pick up on it. And then I have to be told about it later. No, so. no, this one's not, this one is not sexual in nature. No, it literally means that she sold cigars. Um, and, uh, um, so the, Daniel Stashauer um, is a, a, a gentleman who wrote a book about her, uh, mm-hmm. a full true crime book about her. Um, and, and so under the, the beautiful cigar girl uh, as part of the title of that book. So that's, we certainly um, uh, reference that and in, in, in our, in our chapter about Mary Rogers and, and this mm-hmm. whole myth making of, of surrounding her. Um, so, so yeah, that's, it's one of those, one of those moments of like, hmm, is this in fact an entendre? No, not this time maybe not this time i honestly it's kind of iconic just to be like known throughout the entire town as being the hot girl that works at the cigar shop i mean yeah no she was actually actually famous which is why this whole thing became such a to-do i just want people to think of me that way not really but like also wouldn't it be great i mean it came with a lot of uh it came with a lot of um attention some of which maybe was wanted and some of which a lot great deal of which was not wanted yeah and might have factored into her death yeah that's the best part just yeah (laughs) power being the nickname of hot cigar girl pretty cool (laughs) so in this don't smoke don't smoke don't smoke is not an endorsement i run i run a pg-13 business in my world so no i have to be i have to i have to put that disclaimer out there anyway don't smoke be the hot perfume girl which she is in this story absolutely (laughs) absolutely be the change you want to see in the world so um we find out she is the only daughter of the widow estelle roger um and at 22 she was hired by a perfumer, much to her mom's dismay, which also that kind of rhymed. And I didn't really realize that until I just said it. Love that for me. 
So she is hired by a Monsieur LeBlanc. And then in parentheses, it says Anderson. So because I don't know that's, why. Oh, that's Anderson was Anderson was the tobacconist in Manhattan. Oh, so that was the, okay. the, the gentleman who owned the shop was named Anderson. So it was Anderson's, um, uh, I think it was just Anderson's tobacco shop or tobacconist, um, something like that. So the, the owner was that. Um, I'd have to double check the if the shop name was different than that, but that was the that's why it's in parentheses because again it's pulling okay. from that real history. Okay, so I this this makes more sense because I was trying to figure out why there was all these parentheses of American names and I didn't realize that these were his edits. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So she has only been in his employ about a year when suddenly she disappears from the shop. Everyone freaks out. They're like, where did this girl go? The police were about to start making serious investigations because, again, she is the talk of the town. She's the it girl. Um, And after about a week, she just shows up. Good health, perfectly fine, perfectly normal, but seems kind of sad. And everyone's like, hey, girl, what happened? And she's just like, "Uh, you know. wild also true also true she really did disappear yeah for a while and came back that's true so that that happened in 1838 and people thought it was a it was thought to be a publicity stunt which is why people didn't take her actual disappearance seriously wild it's wild it's really wild i know there's like technically no real way to like re like surge this with like they're kind of, but like they probably don't have enough documentation of this. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I want to know so bad. I know, especially, especially we'll get into some of the thoughts of, of some of the things that are possible of what could have gone down. And mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of reasons why there's cert- there are certain things that probably wouldn't have been documented if it is some of the options of what uh, mm-hmm. ended up in her state. So, yeah, but I mean, she is... a she is quite a cold case she is still an unsolved mystery mm-hmm. i have a running joke on this podcast that when i die it's going to become a podcast in the afterlife so if that happens please, and i can make that happen we will be give, interviewing yeah i was gonna say i was like please please track down mary rogers and mm-hmm. uh and let's find out what really happens yeah a lot so of it her is... story deserves to be told mm-hmm. the story a lot of my questions are just going to be going to some of my class like authors and being like um sorry what right why did you do that <laughs> yeah also that will be an episode if we can make that happen in the afterlife so you know see you all in about 100 years <laughs> noted but <laughs> Put it, it's on my calendar there you go just have a little google alert for when <laughs> A hundred uh-huh. years from now, when I can figure well, out how to Ouija board this to you yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, a little ding, a little a notification on the Ouija board. Yeah, there message, you go. A little inbox. New podcast episode. It's just me transcribing on the Ouija board for someone to take down. Amazing. I find some teenage kids doing the Ouija board for the first time, and it's me being like, have you ever listened to the Barely Bookish podcast? <laughs> 
and they have no idea what you're talking about. They just think that like that ancient some, podcast that my grandmother podcast. listened to. Exactly. Yeah. From the beyond. From the beyond. <laughs> I really need those downloads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, capitalism never ends. It's another thing, just like vampires. It's just it's just unending. So oh my gosh. This is also my reminder not to use Ouija boards if you don't know what you're doing, children. Please Hi. Don't. Yeah. Don't open a door you don't know how to shut. Yeah, don't do that. Seriously. And that is actually I'm not kidding about that. Yeah, no, I, no, I also like, don't like, kid about no Ouija joke. boards. Don't do yeah, no, don't, don't, do don't mess with that. Don't mess yeah. with that. Don't yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So it's a funny haha, but don't literally don't do it. Let's, no, literally don't do it. Yeah, don't. I know Hasbro makes it. There's so many cool it. things. Yeah, don't do exactly. it. There are so many interesting things that you can do that involve the otherworldly that that involve much more uh, safe and um, less uh, potentially hazardous energetic experiences. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, just go, just go to your local historical places that have ghosts there and talk to the docents and take ghost tours that's um on that's mm-hmm. you get all kinds of interesting experiences and you're not messing with stuff you don't know how to put back in the box that you opened go like see a ghost and it's natural habitat exactly. don't invite things into your home really don't really and don't. i don't care if you're like i'm in a field it doesn't matter they can follow no. you don't do it just don't do don't it don't do it just, just don't do it just don't do it yeah bad plan bad plan seriously okay now that we've got that disclaimer out of the way now that the psa is out there okay (laughs) what's what where where are we at now so after five months she then disappears for a second time and everyone and then he says that her corpse was found floating in the scene scene the sun sen thank you Mm -hmm. aka the Hudson. I do really like these notes now that I know what they're for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that actually, if if you're reading an edition from the 50s, that actually might even be the editor mm-hmm. from the 1850s. That might be the editor after Poe's death putting oh. in those things in. I'm not sure that that. I'm not sure that. I don't have. I have to look. I don't think that Poe ever put that in to his text. I think that that's okay. probably an editor after the fact, after Poe's passing, that may have mm. put them in. It is. I don't know. Helpful. I have to double check that. Yeah, it's nice. It's an EDU copy, so that could make sense. Oh well, that yeah, that makes sense. That would yeah. be an academic thing to to note. Yeah, because um, it was free. So yes, understood. <laughs> Whereas I I I just had to have a my my fancy. I have yeah. to have a fancy copy. I have a lot of Poe's works, but they're in a storage unit. Fair. Okay fair i mine is part of my display like this this is this is the business side of things here so it has to be like poe is so central to everything i do as a mm-hmm. writer and as a tour guide because i also give tours walking the parts of greenwich the, the parts of greenwich village that poe walked and so mm-hmm. um yeah so it's <laughs> this has to be within reach because it's part of the job description yeah. man have you seen those people that have like book purses where they're purses that look just like a book oh yeah that's a great book to make into it's a purse. It's a great that book, one. but I no, I have I have so many. No, no, no. Things. Like the, the the uh like it's fabric. It's all fabric. I promise. Yes. It's not okay. A good. Book. 
no but books yes. were harmed in the making okay, okay. fantastic I was like, well because some people will actually use actual books and do it to actual books i can't i can't no i know it. i know you can't no that we're like, there's only one corpse we're talking about right now and it's unfortunately a woman's corpse mm-hmm. not a book corpse here no book burnings no book corpses only true crime only true crime only true crime so uh after about a week passed they were like okay we should probably offer a reward because she only took a week last time so you know now it's starting to get a little scary oh sorry no this was after this is a week after they found her corpse sorry Mm -hmm. about that so they find the body and they're like okay we have no information and nothing to go on and i know they say after like 48 hours if they don't have anything they're it's gonna be start getting hard to solve it Mm -hmm. so they're like okay let's offer a board a reward we're gonna do a thousand francs Mm -hmm. and the public was like a thousand francs for the hottest girl in our entire town absolutely not so they decided that the uh after the 10th day they were gonna double the sum and then after a second week the um head prefect decides that he's going to offer 20,000 francs for the conviction of the assassin or any of the possible assassins so he's like i feel like it was multiple people twenty thousand dollars if someone can actually figure out what happened so getting a little desperate um so in addition to the twenty thousand a committee of people raised ten thousand dollars as ten thousand francs as well to uh help find so now it's up to thirty thousand dollars so then three weeks passed and uh we get our attention thrown to our narrator and dupont who are just hanging out researching doing what bros do drinking wine probably um and they've been just like hanging out at home and it's been a month since they've gone abroad or like seemingly left the house (laughs) which is like kind of how they introduced um this how they met it's the same thing it's like oh my god do you guys just all you do is just hang around the house with the Mm -hmm. shutters closed and just until uh, until a crime happens it's like it's a it's really amazing because that's really the whole beginning of mergers of remorgue is them like retiring away from the world and just having bro time yeah this is my dream i mean yeah top house retiring away from the world yeah i have a library somehow i have money right and and cool friends cool friends come over and have don't want to go anywhere (laughs) yeah (laughs) except if there's a crime except when there's a crime yeah i I, true crime a true true crime junkie friends okay you come over we drink wine we eat charcuterie we don't leave the house read a lot of books we leave when there's a murder (laughs) this is so this hey friends these are the dupin mysteries um this is pretty (laughs) much how this is the the mo here for the for the narrator uh mm-hmm. and august dupin the 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 detective who's not officially a detective yeah he's not officially employed 
by any police force, just FYI. <laughs> he just sort of does this. He just sort of tries to solve things because it's just a compulsion, I guess. He's just like, you know, it'd be fun if we just decided to solve a murder today. Because the, you know, the police force is somewhat incompetent. That's sort of the, that's kind of the dynamic that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle certainly uh, took from these mysteries and used in Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Much like today, the police force is kind of incompetent. So I mean, it's it's a thing. Yeah, this is an A cab podcast. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. That's. I just. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm with you. You wanted to know my stance on things. I, <laughs> I and historically speaking, too, it's like this is all happening at a time before there was any organized police force. So, and this is well ahead of of the uh of the of the true nonsense that happened during the jack the ripper murders Mm -hmm. which was just complete nobody was talking to anybody and this kind of in some ways is like a precursor to stuff that would happen later in terms of a a, you know the serial killer um Mm -hmm. of you know in 1888 and this is in the 1840s so but it's it is definitely showing that there was not a lot of there was not an organized department and certainly wasn't Mm -hmm. out uh, with a with this organized structure of how crime solving was happening in the 19th century at all mm-hmm. they haven't left their house uh we find out the first intelligence of the murder was brought forth by g dash dash and mine just says a letter i don't know if yours actually says a name or not um no okay. no i mean i think it's the same i'm pretty sure it's the same uh sort of police head from the previous from mm-hmm. room org i believe so yeah yeah and in, so, in this case it wasn't he wasn't uh impugning anyone in the actual metropolitan police force in new york in this case he was not this is just a, that's just a fictionalized police head that is just kind of a stand-in character so definitely a stock character really probably a good idea not to name anybody so that uh he doesn't get a little knock on his door yep that's that's he was well aware that he there are only so, so many enemies he could make he usually just had fellow writers as enemies yeah that's a whole nother story for another podcast <laughs> i want that story not gonna lie to you oh yeah Tell no there's there's a whole there's a whole poe griswold feud and it's a mess and it oh. is the reason why we have a lot of misunderstandings about poe because he was absolutely mm-hmm. maligned after his death by a complete asshole anyway i have a lot of thoughts about that that's gonna have to be a full podcast episode (laughs) at some point come come hear me talk about how my beloved edgar Allan poe was done wrong yeah welcome to the ted talk (laughs) it's for real for real (laughs) so um basically now we start getting a timeline because the cop is filling in the narrator in dupont we say uh he says that Marie Roger left the residence of her mother at about nine o'clock in the morning. She told her fiance, or not fiance, I guess technically he's like courting her, but essentially fiance. Yeah. Basically there. Yeah. Um she tells her fiance, Hey, at the end of me hanging out with my aunt, can you pick me up? And he's like, Okay. So that's he's supposed to pick her up at like the evening so uh he walks her there um and yeah at dusk he's supposed to pick her up so 
in the afternoon though it starts raining and he's like okay you know it's raining when it rains she always stays the night at her aunt's house because they don't like have a carriage so he's like she'll probably just stay the night there so him thinking it's not necessary to keep his promise doesn't go to pick her up um and the next day he goes to pick her up and we find out oh sorry before he goes to pick her up her mother says to uh the fiance that she fears she will never see marie again and i just thought that was interesting like what an ominous thing to say about your child That's one that's also hard to pin down with the true crime aspect of it because Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff became kind of hearsay after Mm -hmm. the fact. And this became such a sensation that I, it it could have even be that the family members had almost a retroactive bad feeling about the Mm -hmm. days surrounding her disappearance. Yeah. So that's really hard to pin down of any sort of veracity, but it, Poe was certainly going to use that for foreshadowing. I mean, it's a good line. I don't blame him. So we find out that uh, basically she never went to her aunt's house. Um, She's found with uh, bruises around her throat, like fingerprints and essentially just subjected to straight like brutal violence oh and also they found that the knots that were tied for the bonnet were fastened with not quote not a lady's fastenings but the slip of a or sailor's knot so they think you know this is helping guide who might have done this so the fiance obviously follows under suspicion because he's like why didn't you pick her up and he's like well i mean it's not like she's at her aunt's house you know it's not like weird that she would not stay there you know it's not like her aunt's gonna kick her out on the street she's not at her friend's house so he's like i thought this is where she's going i'll pick her up tomorrow it's raining um and he can't really seem to count for his whereabouts at all which is just not great so there's a ton of different rumors going on um top among these is that she is still alive and that the course found was some other unfortunate which is kind of wild um this one has like a lot more going into it um so okay basically poe starts kind of going through and dissecting this rumor because it was in a newspaper and he says first no evidence that she is in the land of the living at nine o'clock on sunday like the second she leaves the house we we don't know because after the fiance sees her and she's gone anything could happen she could have died at 905 you know we know nine o'clock she was alive and well after that nothing so the 
basically the newspaper guy is saying uh she could have only been in the water for two and a half days or three at most and apparently according to his research the newspapers uh that drowned bodies require six to ten days for sufficient decomposition to take place to bring them to the top of the water no sources (laughs) um they also the newspaper also notes that none of the family went over to go see um marie roger's body this is all basically what the evidence is um supposedly for her still being alive according to this newspaper so yeah pose pose laying out the entire newspaper line for us um the newspaper then goes on to basically say that marie left the city because there was uh reasons involving charges against her chastity and the whole family obviously that must be the reason because they didn't go to the funeral and that's like just all outlined and then he backs it up by saying that uh you know what else could happen and then basically the newspaper has and post like okay Yeah, a lot of the coverage of this in the in the time was mm-hmm. ridiculous. So yeah. Poe Poe is definitely taking some editorial notes about yeah. some of the truly shitty coverage that was happening <laughs> around it. Wild, absolutely wild. And then there is a second paper that says that two small boys, while roaming the woods, uh, found on a stone a white petticoat. And on a second stone, a silk scarf, and then a parasol, gloves, and a pocket handkerchief were found. And the pocket handkerchief has the name Marie Roger on it. And then the ground apparently bore evidence of some heavy burden burden having been dragged upon it. Um, and they, according to this paper, the... Uh, Clearly, there was evidence of everything having laid there for three to four weeks, and there was mildew. And there's some grass growing around pieces of it. So, obviously, it's totally been there for three weeks, guys. Definitely, one hundo. You know, from the time she must have died, this she must have just placed all of this very carefully right here, and then had her body dragged. So... I really love the shade of Poe being like, here's all the stuff newspapers were saying. Absolutely. He was one of the things that people don't know about Poe is that he was a critic. Uh, He was a theater critic. He was, he often wrote criticism under different pen names. And so that's what uh, the bulk of his writing really was. We know him for his beautiful and, and harrowing fiction and his beautiful poetry, but more often than not, he was writing literary criticisms. And so he's certainly infusing that into this work. I just thought he was being shady, but that makes it even better. Yes. Yeah, I, I actually, it's kind of shocking that I don't know much about Poe. So I'm like learning a lot right now. <laughs> I mean, he's great. And um, I feel like I need to learn more. I should probably do some episodes on Poe. I mean, besides just these. 
I should do the Raven. I feel like everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Shockingly, I okay. Part of the joke of this podcast is I didn't do anything in school, but I think I did actually read. No, no, I didn't. I read the heartbeat under the floorboards one. The telltale heart. That's usually yes. what that's usually what people do in school. I also did the Raven. But that's because also because I was uh, part of a sh- um, we did a show my freshman year. Mm-hmm. All, that was a it was a production of different adaptations of Poe on stage. And so it was my uh, it was it was my first, uh, you know, play for a larger audience than just my grade school. So it's it a very formative moment for me, me oh, and my cool. literary boyfriend, Poe. Love he that. And I are, he and I are like spiritually together forever just like you know just like vampires yeah you guys go way back we go way back we really do yeah no seriously to a point where like when I was 13 years old mm-hmm. uh I thought to myself oh I'm old enough for Poe now because that's how the age his wife was when <laughs> he married her so yeah no it's it goes way back and it's uh it's something else so yeah I remember I actually first- have I have I have a ghost story involving Poe too. If we have time, I will share it with you. But mm-hmm. anyway, we have to we have to talk about Marie Roger. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All I was gonna say though is I remember being in uh, middle school and thinking, a couple more years and I'll get a vampire boyfriend. There you go. There you go. <laughs> we all have those moments when we think we're of age, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not when we did anyway. It's the shift of Ariel being like, I'm 13 years old. I can make my own decisions to then being like an adult. And you're like with King Triton being like, no, you can't. No, you can't. No, absolutely not. So upon the new discovery, even more evidence appears, supposedly. So um, we find out at about three o'clock in the afternoon, a young girl uh, arrived at the an inn accompanied by a man of a dark complexion and this is like a couple towns over so soon after the departure of the couple a gang of miscreants made their appearance behaved boisterously ate and drank without making payment and then uh they followed the route of the man and girl this is another newspaper article talking about this so not that far after nighttime, they hear screams of a female victim in the vicinity of an inn. And first of all, again, what I can't remember. There was another murder in New York um, that we learned about in psychology with uh, the, it's called, is it the bystander complex? I can't remember. But everybody assumes somebody else is going to call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever study, whatever murder influenced that study, I cannot remember. But why does nobody call the cops? <laughs> like, come on, man. You're screams of a woman right after you see a group of like people behaving like crazies. And you're like, yeah, no, someone else will call. That's a different people's problem. Rude. That's what it is. And it's so, also like in cities, like in cities, yeah. people tend to just not necessarily, they just assume that it's somebody else's business and you don't necessarily want to involve yourself in somebody else's business. Wild. Absolutely insane. I I just, I don't know. I can't imagine. 
But I guess it's another thing where, you know, you find that when you're actually in that situation, your reaction tends to be a little bit different. So I can't say what I would do, but I don't think I would be able to be like, no, someone else will call the cops if I hear someone screaming. Like, I I can't imagine that being my reaction. Insane. Nevertheless, insane to think about. So, um... Immediately after the discovery of the clothes in the newspaper, um, they find the body of uh, Marie's betrothed. And, uh, and they said that this is also found in the vicinity of where this screaming scene would have happened. So they're like, obviously it must be her and him then because his body's found over there. But like, Again, you're in a town, you know, like, I feel like everything's technically in the vicinity, but nevertheless. um, So they say that his breath gave the evidence of poison and upon his person was found a letter stating his love for Marie, which is really sad. Uh, Because they're saying basically that uh, she was cheating on him and ran away to be with somebody else and then like he commits like on alivement to uh her which is sad and the so the there the rumors of her being unfaithful to him are unsubstantiated but daniel mm-hmm. Payne, her actual fiance mary cecilia rogers actual fiance did take his own life that is true and he took his own life right near where her body was found in Hoboken, New Jersey. So yeah. With a note. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine your fiance shows up dead and just being able to like go on. Well, he, he, he really went through hell with Mm -hmm. around it because a lot of suspicion was on him. Um, so, but yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get, we can get into a little bit more of that, but like, it Mm -hmm. just, it's so many of these things really are, Poe is taking from absolute mm-hmm. note by note uh, at real history. Yes. Yeah. So basically kind of summing it up seems to be a lot of motives. Um, and beginning their investigation now, he's like, so there's been a murder. <laughs> Which I really like that. Just like, all right. So here's what everybody's saying. Here's what we know. There's been a murder. Um, but he's like, going on the suggestion that it's not her corpse. Why are we assuming that? <laughs> I like him going through and like punch for punch. Um, he's pulling down the ideas. He's like, why, why are we assuming she's alive? One, not only is that like brutal for the family, but two, no. <laughs> like we're... we're He's like, so what? You want to see somebody else's body? Like, is it's that still making a dead body. less bad? Yeah. It's still, a, yeah. Whether she was famous or not, or whether it's the mm-hmm. person, you know, that's, yeah, that, that's one of the problems with some of the initial uh, reporting on this is because it was like, almost like there was a bias because this person was already well-known mm-hmm. versus, an, uh, you know, and so kind of wanting it to be a, an unknown person versus the beautiful cigar girl like that's also problematic (laughs) like Mm -hmm. no it's sad that there's a dead body at all yeah 
I just I really like Poe ripping them a new one right here. It's it's mm-hmm. very good. It's very satisfying. So and then he says, "Why are we not to assume that the murder co- was committed five minutes from her house? Like, there's nothing wrong with assuming that." Which I like because it's like, so what we and what what's your timeline here? Are you assuming that because she was within five minutes, she's in a safe zone? It's like when people drop their food on the floor and they're like, I was only on the floor for five seconds. Like, are the germs being like, hold on, wait, everyone. We got 30 more seconds. We got to wait. Like, it's weird to assume that, you know? Um, And I like the note that there's been assassinations at all hours. Because they're like, you don't have to wait for nighttime. Murderers aren't going to wait for nighttime. Um, and then Poe gives us an entire science lesson about density and being like, yeah, it totally could have rose to the top, you weirdos. <laughs> so good. So, um, and then he says, it's exceedingly improbable that any villains would have, th- oh, this is a quote from the newspaper saying that it's exceedingly improbable that any villains would have thrown the body in without a weight to sink it when such a precaution would have been easily taken. And he's like, what if it, they didn't have time? <laughs> like, again, it's broad daylight. So not only is this person lugging an entire body, but now they have to lug a weight too. That doesn't make sense. And then um, also there was a quote saying that like, it wasn't thrown in by the murderers. And he's like, again, what? <laughs> I, I, I just love the roast going on. So then he's like, okay, the person saying that Marie was being uh, intimidated, like basically ganged on, ganged up on by low ruffians. We have no proof that one, the girl there was even her, that the scream was by the ruffians, that the ruffians had anything to do with this, or that like, because these people didn't pay that they are violent criminals. And he's like, also this was found like three weeks after this dead body where there's circulating all this information. We can't make all these weird assumptions because she doesn't know what the cigar girl looked like. She just saw a dude and a girl in an inn. That's all we have. Could be anybody. Um, and then he says essentially that whoever uh, made the claim that someone would rec- everybody would recognize Marie is very out of touch <laughs> which so good <laughs> so then he talks about how a newspaper reports that at nine on Sunday the populace of uh the populace are chiefly within the doors preparing the church uh no observing person could have failed to notice that the town was deserted and he's like but <laughs> like he's like again this is paris <laughs> it's not deserted it was like early morning what are we talking about here <laughs> And then he starts breaking down the claim with the uh, 
finding of all of her random items in the woods of one did the kids never go to this place ever before because in the last three weeks two uh was any of this like upon her when she left three why was it just like sitting there in broad daylight on a stump what's going on with that then he also makes notice of uh how they didn't look at the body at all like nobody really examined this corpse um did she get robbed nobody made any note of that at all and he also says we should probably actually look at the fiance because why is he not providing his whereabouts i know he's like dead now but also kind of weird i don't think it was him but like also what was he doing (laughs) which is a fair thing like why are you not telling anybody what you're doing (laughs) weird um he's like okay we're just gonna like not look at the fiance because like that's a whole thing let's just like put that aside for now um and then he goes on later and said okay so we did look into the fiance he's fine (laughs) but i like that he's like okay we're not going to talk about the fiance i didn't want to spend that much time on it but like i looked into it he's fine he's chill (laughs) which like love that for poe thanks for doing that sir so we find out that uh apparently during the week of her absence the first time she was in the company of a young naval officer much noted for his debaucheries so then they say that apparently this guy is uh like so there's a gentleman with his wife and daughter going across this scene how do you say we pronounce this i think it's the sun the sun sorry i (laughs) need to break down the phonetic spelling um but a gentleman with his wife and daughter at dusk engaged the services of six men who were idly rowing a boat uh across the Seine, and they're like can you help us get across the river so then she left her uh the daughter left her parasol and then when she returned for it she was seized by the gang and carried out into the stream and then the the villains escaped and that's also in here <laughs> so there's like so many like random things that are going on so like keep that in mind moving on <laughs> like wh- why what are we doing here so like that's an important note furthermore um there's also apparently a ton of like forcibly written notes saying that it's a matter of certainty that marie roger has become a victim of one of the numerous bands of blackguards which infested the vicinity of the city upon Sunday. So they're like, everybody's writing in their own theories is basically what's happening. Like, everybody is a true crime expert at this mm-hmm. point. Um, so then they're like, okay. Pose like, we don't have any reason to assume that the first and the second instances of her disappearance are connected at all so like let's stop thinking that for a second like stop talking to this naval guard 
who doesn't know her anymore like no don't do that and then they're like also the boat thing why <laughs> like they just put in this like other crime that happened on top of hers because it happened to be like within the same weekend <laughs> so then they're like okay first of all let's talk about how this is like four months difference um and that the uh first time was a few months before the period of like when men leave for war so he's gone <laughs> he's he can't come back now like it's only been four months he's he's gonna be gone for a few years don't worry about him so then they're like okay what we need to worry about is if there was a secret lover and if so who is it so he goes back and he's like okay so she told her fiance that she's leaving um and to call for her at like dusk and if he did he would have found that she wasn't there because the aunt had no idea she was coming so then that would give her a decent amount of time for her to be gone so he's like that would give her like what she left at like nine to dusk which would be like 12 hours so because her 12 hour head start before anybody starts looking for her he's like that way there's no chance of interruption of her supposed like secret elopement and it gives her plenty of time to avoid people catching up to her and then she uh, he said she must be thinking if i tell my fiance not to come till dark there's no way he's going to show up beforehand so he lays that out for us then he keeps going back into more of the details and he's like okay keep that in mind <laughs> going back the newspaper said that uh the two small boys found the articles of every like the all the the gloves the parchment uh, the not parchment the parcel that way that's what i'm talking about and like her handkerchief which had her name embroidered on it he's like first of all these are two small boys <laughs> like you can't really take what they're taking saying with a grain you gotta take it with a grain of salt um he's like also if it had been outside for four weeks it's gonna have more than a little mildew um I, I find, and then he says that he finds it, or the narrator says that I find it exceedingly difficult to believe that uh, any of that was outside for more than a week. He's like, do you know how fast grass grows? <laughs> I love that. Like, I love that little line that he's like, I find it exceedingly difficult. <laughs> so then he says, okay, everybody seems to be pointing at this gang. Um, and that they must have put all of her stuff in this thicket. And he's like, first of all, why would they do that? I find it difficult to believe that they wouldn't clean that up. Or the random, like, dragging marks. Um, if there's multiple people. And he's like, also, let me, let's talk about how this all was arranged. It doesn't look like it was dropped. It looks like it was set up. What are we doing here? 
it's just, there's so, there's so much in this, like, this is such a long story and a lot of it ends up Mm -hmm. being just a discussion of science. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, like I'll, I, I definitely can speak to that a little bit. And when I, uh, when I kind of dive into some of the true crime aspect of like, he's, he's sort of just explaining forensic science Mm -hmm. to people throughout this. It's, it's more, it's almost more of a lesson of dynamics of investigation Mm -hmm. than it actually is a story. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of examples in here and I feel like we don't need all of them. The one I will say really quick though, is that he's like, listen, if there's a group of low-end ruffians who couldn't afford to pay their bill, uh, one of them would have turned the other end for $30,000. Absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, in that time, that's more than, like, some people's entire inheritance. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then he goes, okay, with that boat thing that we talked about, what? And also... <laughs> no advertisement for so the boat got like left there's like this boat was just left there there was no advertisement for the boat to like get picked up he's like what what are you talking about with this boat and then he said that um there's marks on the body that show that it could have been on the bottom like dragged beneath a boat and he's like, so, like, why didn't we, like, look into the boat at all? Weird. And that's where Poe ends it for us. <laughs> and then also with a really long paragraph about being like, listen, I know there was, like, a lot of coincidences, but also um, this was not supposed to be investigation. This was supposed to be fun little fiction, fun little hee-hees and uh, jokes, which it is a hefty paragraph. Like, it takes up a full page fun fact but yeah that's where poe leaves it and that's where i'm going to transition it to you talking about your chapters or your chapter in uh a haunted history of invisible women because i am excited to hear about the true parts of the true crime thank you thank you yeah this this is a tricky story because um so the mystery of marie roger it really is is almost as we are seeing with this rundown it's notes for a story as told through ratiocination so that word is what poe uses to describe his auguste dupin stories now the the term ratiocination is hard to say that's why it didn't get picked up as the progenitor of um of of mysteries so mystery fiction, he he called all of these, if there was a subtitle earlier, we were saying like, are they the Dupin mysteries? Like there wasn't necessarily a subtitle. He wanted them to be his tales of ratiocination. But because it's such a tricky word, that's not really a catchy advertising title for the Auguste Dupin stories of which there are three, as we mentioned, um, starting with Rue Morgue, uh, Mer- Mer- uh, Mystery of Marie Roger is the second, Purloin Letter being the third. Um, and so ratiocination, Ratiocination means the process of of deductive reasoning. So it's the logic train that he's describing. And so really what the mystery of Marie Roger is as a story is celebrating ratiocination. It's celebrating the process of scientific ruling things out. This, which is why he has all of these scientific explanations through here. It's almost like he's writing a manual for a police procedural 
while watching the police and the newspapers kind of bungle all of this stuff. So what is true is that there really was a very real woman named Mary Cecilia Rogers, and she was the beautiful cigar girl, and she worked at Anderson's Tobacco Emporium. I looked up the actual name of the shop. Anderson's Tobacco Emporium in New York, and she... Um, she died in 1940 or 1918. She died in 1841. Um, she was this celebrated, beautiful shop girl at this tobacco emporium. And she had in 1838 gone missing for uh, a little bit of time. I think it was about a week. And it was thought that it was a publicity stunt um, by Anderson's uh, as a shop. Um, and so she was really this person who was kind of like, a, a star sort of a model a celebrity like you know she would have been kind of the it girl uh sort of a kardashian of the 19th century in a way of like she was sort of this reality star in a way of of this time period and so who was kind of opera who was sort of pulling the strings on her in her life she was a young woman um this is all kind of i feel very much like she was sort of a victim of circumstance in a lot of ways um everything that poe talks about about these other uh people the naval officer the fiance these were all characters that were a part of you know of mary cecilia rogers's life and a part of the inquiry into her death um and as i'd mentioned daniel payne her fiance um, did take his own life right after her it, soon after her body had been found. Um, it was in the Hudson River. It washed up in Hoboken, New Jersey, and right near Sybil's Cave. So there was this um, beautiful um, uh, cave that had a natural spring inside of it, and it was a Victorian sort of resort. And it was this destination place. And these people who had been uh, taking refreshments at Sybil's Cave are the ones that ended up finding the actual body in real life. Um, Sybil's cave is said to be haunted today by the mysterious figures of possibly Daniel Payne and possibly uh, Mary Rogers and their unsolved mystery, because when her body did wash up, it did have pretty violent marks across it. Um, and but none of these none of the things that Poe lift up in the mystery of Marie Roget or that any of the newspapers were saying, none of them were particularly conclusive. And one thing that Poe did kind of add it, add and adapt to later editions of this story is putting in the notion of something called premature delivery, which was the concept of a botched abortion. So that is a possibility of, I think, maybe maybe the most likely possibility, because these questions about chastity and virtue and all of these various other things, and what would she have been hiding and how would she have been careful? There is an element in Mary Rogers' real life story of things that she wasn't saying to people. Her aunt, her aunt really didn't know to expect her. So things she was telling some members of her family versus not other members of her family versus not being entirely honest with her fiance, uh, all of these things. Or if her fiance did know the truth about things and did know that she was going to try to have a procedure done that nobody wanted to talk about that wasn't legal to do, all of these things to me add up to the stuff that no one wanted to talk about. Um, but um, the uh, the note from Daniel Payne, he said, you know, he was the fiance, of course, was like questioned. And, and a lot of the suspicion went to him um, as like, you really should know more about your fiance's whereabouts at all times kind of thing. But he his his note his, in taking his life said to to the world, here I am on the very spot. He was found where the her body had been found. 
may God forgive me for my misspent life. So something it's really, it's really sad. And so some part of this was feeling like there, there was a, there were lives plural that should have been a little bit, maybe more by the book as it were. Um, So something in there is speaking of trouble and whether uh, Mary Rogers had some other person in her life or whatever, like I said, she was this famous lady and so much of her life was scrutinized, but at the same time she would have had to keep so much of her reality on the down low and sort of putting up this front for her being this, this, you know, this model essentially. And so I don't know that we'll really ever know truly her personal life. Um, the, there were suspicions cast to onto gangs, onto all of these other possibilities, um, none of which really, like as Poe kind of uh, breaks it down, none of which really track, but that's, people were searching for the truth of it while the probably most likely answer to it is just something people didn't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So that's, and, and probably why we don't have more, um, uh, documentation from that time period, because if you were someone who was seeking help to terminate a pregnancy, you didn't leave a paper trail for that kind of thing, mm-hmm. if that was the case. But again, it's really hard because we want to, uh, like for me as a, as a ghost tour guide, as someone who's an historian, as someone who's a writer, uh, my first and foremost is respect for the dead. So I don't mm-hmm. necessarily want to be um, casting out thoughts one way or another, because mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know any more than Poe knows at this point. And he was trying to sort of like at least let's take the most improbable things off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did pitch, I mean, in, in certain cases, he was a guy who was trying to make a buck off being a writer. And he did use the sensation of Mary Rogers's death to get this story sold. He basically pitched like, Hey, I've solved the murder. Mm-hmm. Check out this story. He didn't solve the murder. He's talking about the murder, but mm-hmm. because it was so much within the press at the time, he was, you know, wanting to discuss things in that regard and get paid to write about it in the meantime. I mean, you know, he was a starving artist struggling, uh, just trying to get from one paycheck to the paycheck to the next paycheck. Mm-hmm. You know, so many writers of the time period were people who were, had the leisure to write, who had, who came from money, who could write for fun. And Poe was not, he came from poverty and he just happened to be a talented writer and he was hustling all the time. Um, but so I think his intentions were good in that he was intrigued by all of this and, and quite, as you can see, I think in the narrative, quite struck by all the things that were being done wrong and in Mm -hmm. disservice to this woman's story and to this woman's life. Um, but all of this was happening and, and Poe was writing about it all in, of the course of the early 1840s, short, you know, a a few years before his own mysterious passing, um, which Mm -hmm. is an, as a whole other, it's his own death within the same decade uh, is like another unsolved, is another unsolved mystery too. Um, And so the coincidence thing that he talks about, I think is really interesting that, that there, there were coincidences, there were parallels with other things that had happened in this woman's life um, that made it almost hard to untangle the knot. But that's where in our chapter, uh, uh, the chapter I wrote about this is the myth-making of Marie Roget, because this was, there was a lot of storytelling and narrative that was not completely solved. So for me, the sort of ghostly angle on this, even though like every New York and New Jersey area ghost 
book will talk about Sybil's cave, the entrance to which you can still see. There's this sort of Gothic arch that led to this old spring where near where her body was found. Everyone describes that as a haunted place, but no one really describes much other than the vague sense of of, of ethereal luminous figures wafting about, but everybody talks about that true crime and everybody talks about Poe using that true crime for his famous story, but no one is actually giving an actual account of the ghost story there. And so my thought about that is it's the unsolved mystery. That's the ghost. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily even an actual tracking uh, specific to Mary Cecilia Rogers. Mm-hmm. It's this whole thing of like, maybe, maybe there's an entity still haunting because no one can get her story straight. That leads into the quote from your chapter, not to quote yourself to yourself. However, (laughs) this was too good for me not to read it. So I'm going to like round us out with this quote of yours. Perhaps Rogers remains a phantom of our human need for answers and justice. She remains a liminal figure floating outside a poison spring, uh, welling up her own. Oh man, my stutter's really coming out. Sorry. Welling up at her own cavernous entrance to the underworld, haunting the shores where she died because no one, not even the greatest American storytellers, could get her story right. And this is uh, our my recommendation afterwards is also to go read this because you have to just I okay first of all love a good ghost story but also love it even more when they're true and you can hear all about the histories behind them. So make sure to check out. your book a haunted history of invisible women i'll post photos of it on instagram if you didn't already see it already but thank you so much for joining me thank you for fitting me into your busy schedule i i love any excuse to talk about my literary boyfriend edgar Allan poe um i love him so much and uh and i i think that his work is just so important and he factors in to a lot of our of of our book because of how important he was as a storyteller um especially in american uh fiction and especially in american spooky fiction and so much of the cases that we discover here um the the myth making that makes a good ghost story Poe is certainly very well aware of in his fiction. And so sometimes the fiction feeds the, the ghost lore and vice versa. And so trying to figure out the line between truth and fiction, I think that's where this the, the mystery of Marie Roget is such an interesting example of that fact and fiction. And really, truly, the, the first real true crime story that would set a precedent for everything going forward. And so I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that because I do think it's a foundational. I think that Augusta Pan as a character, as a, as a detective is mm-hmm. foundational. So I'm, I'm always glad to talk about the things that Poe is doing uh, that still affect our reading today. We have to have you on again for a TED talk on Poe. Uh, I, yes, please let me restore Edgar Allan Poe's good name mm-hmm. um, because he, uh, he was, he was not as, dark and tortured and messed up as a a lot of folks said he was. And I want to make sure that everyone knows that he was, yes, he was just sad. He was basically just like a misunderstood goth. So as a goth, I just feel a lot of kinship to, to him anyway. So, yeah. So yeah, clearly I can wax rhapsodic about a girl at any point. Please come back and do so. We'll come back when (laughs) I've turned some books in because uh, my editors will be like, hi, where are you? And I'll be like, I'm writing. I promise I'm writing. 
All right. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, I do want to take a second because uh, you have a wonderful book out. Um, it's The Haunted History of Invisible Women. Um, it's beautiful. Um, do you want to tell all the listeners about it a little bit? So yeah, Haunted History of Invisible Women, True Stories of America's Ghosts is uh, real history, real ghosts, real women. Um, what we do is we break the book down into different stereotypes or tropes that uh, women have been sort of placed into or fallen into. And we examine that through the lens of ghost stories and the actual lives that these women lived. And very often, in some cases, ghost stories that were told about them before they even passed away. Um, so we have a range of famous and not famous uh, uh, women. And we um, just kind of explore uh, what that uh, what telling ghost stories about them has meant and and how we can kind of unpack that. Um, so it's it's really the intersection of women's history and ghost stories um, and written by Andrea Janes and myself. And we are ghost tour guides in New York. And I have worked in many different haunted properties throughout this great nation. And there's, you know, sort of a through line of an interest in the paranormal that has followed me and through all of my work. So I in my fiction, I write about ghosts, but in nonfiction, it's been really about trying to get to the truth of it. So separating fiction from uh, nonfiction uh, and trying to to do right by these women that very often were not done right by in life. Uh, and so, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been a successful book. We've uh, our our publisher Kensington has been very pleased, and we hope you'll check it out and uh, and tell friends because word of mouth is really important on on books like these. This is the first book of its kind to really look at women's history and ghost stories in this type of combination before. Um, rather, you know, there have been co collections of ghost stories written by women in a fictional capacity, but this sort of feminist compilation of women's stories in the ghost lore angle uh, is, is, is we, we kind of were able to break a little bit of new ground on this. And it's got an afterward by um, incredible horror writer, Linda D. Addison. Um, and uh, she's amazing. So we're really glad she was a part of our team too. So yeah, thanks. And uh, anything about the book, you, if you look up a haunted history of invisible women, if you just Google that phrase, then all of the bookstores will come up. So it's available in mm -hmm. audiobook, uh, ebook, paperback, anywhere books are sold. Plus the cover's beautiful. It is beautiful. So, it's taken yeah, from I'm a 19th obsessed. century photograph that was manipulated. It was one of the first oh, photo yeah. manipulations. So it was the the ghost of, really cool. uh, of of Subaru, uh, Jeanette Subaru, as um, I believe is the, uh, was mm -hmm. the actual title of this particular um, woman that is disappearing into the wall. So this was early like spectral photography, but this was just obviously a trick of different um, exposures, but people didn't necessarily know that. So the, people would pass these things off as actual spectral photography, um, but people just didn't know how uh, photographs worked. That's a whole nother story for another time, but there was whole trials about uh, spectral photography and it's reality or it's uh, uh, in this case, you know, pulling the wool over people's eyes, but um, the actual photographer is not known. So it's an anonymous photograph. That's really cool. I love that that's also just a tidbit that's thrown in. Like, that's a, another layer to this. It know? really is. It's an incredible. Uh, it's one of those things where you're like, why manipulate something when this actual 19th century thing exists? Like, just mm -hmm. don't know. Like, there's nothing better than that. Um, our editor yeah. found that image and, and we were like, well, we just, well, there's our cover. Just thank you, our yep. department, for putting pretty text around it. And we will catch you all in the next chapter. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.